Good morning, everybody. Hope you slept well last night and are easing into the silence okay. Just realizing on my way here, like I wish I had some silence right about now. I've got four little children at home, the last of which is trying to learn how to sleep through the night. So not going so well every night. I'm a little tired. Um, Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds. Please help us to be attentive to the movements of our heart today. Please help us to hear you clearly, recognizing those consistent words that you're speaking to us. And please help us to learn at a deep level what repentance is, what faith is, and how to come to you with open hearts. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. All right. This is probably my favorite topic in all of Unbound is repentance and faith. And the reason for that is because I had no clue how important it was when I first got into Unbound. When we were taught to do Unbound, we were uh, from a team in Omaha that used to be there. We were given this short little prayer that you recite, and it's basically like a repentance prayer, and then you move on to uh, forgiveness and renunciation, yada, 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 which was good as far as it went, I suppose, but it wasn't until I really started repenting of things and started seeing how much of a uh, why this is the first key and why it's so important. You know, most people's bondage lies in one of the first three keys. Like one of those is usually the key to their bondage. Either they haven't repented of something they need to, which could be a specific sin. It could be a belief system. It could be a pattern of thinking, believing, feeling, right? Right or they haven't forgiven somebody, they're holding resentment and unforgiveness, or they're clinging to shame, guilt, one of these related spirits. But for most people, it's usually in one of those that their bondage lies. And so when you hit the right one, that's usually where the release comes for a person. But they're all three um, interdependent and they all three relate to each other. Right. But repentance and faith is really important. And when we talk about repentance, what we're not talking as much about is I'm repenting because I drank too much or I looked at pornography or I yelled at my wife. Like those are all the things that we know. Right. Those are all the behaviors that come. But what we're usually repenting of is things we believe. Right. Like I'm not good enough. Like, I believe if I'm drinking myself to oblivion, there's usually shame involved. There's usually beliefs about oneself that they don't even think they're worth, that they're, that they're willing to harm themselves, right, to, to be away from the pain and the hurt. A big repentance is frequently opening the heart. And this is the one that almost everybody has, is the unwillingness to be vulnerable, to withhold the heart from God and from others. Last night when I said, Pope Benedict said that prayer is pure receptivity to God's grace, that is the thing that determines our intimacy with God. It's our vulnerability with him, how much we receive from him, because in and of ourselves, we can't do it. Humility is, a, is an enormous component of repentance. I remember in my own case, I'm recovering drug addict. And uh, I got strung out on Oxycontin really bad. And my life at 29 years old, you know, everybody I knew growing up was married, had kids, had lives, had homes. And here I am doing the same stuff I was when I was 16 <laughs> with about the same amount of stuff and everything else. Like I'd done lost everything so many times and my life was wasted away. And the fundamental thing that changed at that moment that enabled me to move in this direction was when I realized at the core of my being that in and of myself alone, I will destroy things. I will wreck things. I can't do it in my own power. 
Like I couldn't even figure out how to eat three squares a day on my own. And I didn't grow up in a family that was complete. I mean, it wasn't great, but my old man provided food. <laughs> like those things were there, but I was so twisted up. Like I couldn't even provide for my basic needs. I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't do this stuff. And what I realized then was in and of myself, I can't do it. And what the church teaches is that it's all God's grace first. Everything we have and do in the positive is response to that grace. I always saw people who came from good families, some families worse than mine, but they had it together. Their life was good. They could go to school, work. I mean, they did all the normal things everybody else does. I always thought there was something wrong with me and there was something good about them. No. They responded to the grace that was given to them in a different way than I did. Because of the things that happened in my life, the harms and the wounds, I was unreceptive to the grace that was available to me. Does that make sense to everybody? So repentance, one of the key things there is humility getting an honest look at who we are, where we're at. One of the things I want to say about that is everybody is fundamentally good. We're good. You're good. I'm good. Evil does not originate within us. It does not come from me. It does not come from you. It does not come from God. Right? God's good and we're good and we're in his image. Now, many of us may not be living in his likeness as good in various capacities, but evil never originates in us. All I have to do is look at my almost two-year-old. He's being trained to be selfish in some ways and little babies kind of are, right? They're needy. But every one of my kids, the glow, the innocence in their eyes I can be having the worst day and I get home and Elijah is there and he's just ta-da. And all of a sudden, at least for a moment, there's this hole in the midst of everything that's dark. And there's this light and this love and this grace that can come. What we're being restored to is that be like little children. Jesus says, it's not immaturity and whining. And all the negative things that go along with the little two-year-old. It's the positive. It's the openness. It's the vulnerability. The kid does not question whether I'm going to give him a hug. He does not question whether I love him. He does not question if mom's going to feed him. Well, he's starting to because she's trying to wean him, right? But he doesn't question any of those things. All the stuff we question, that we doubt, that we don't believe, it's not even woo on the radar for this kid. That's the kind of life Jesus lived. That's what his sonship was. He didn't even question. That's why he said, if you even have a nugget of faith, a little seed of faith, you'll say to this mountain, move and it'll move. He didn't even question the power that was upon him in his life, the Holy Spirit. And that's why we see the supernatural life emerge from Jesus because he's like my two-year-old son, just with all the temper tantrums, right? So every one of us is being restored to that, to this original goodness that we had. The problem is, is that we're good. So how do we make sense of the evil within us, right? Jesus even says, from your heart comes the evil. Well, all we have to do is go back to the beginning and look at Genesis. They're good. They're walking with God in the garden in intimacy. And then what happens? Is he really good? Does he really want you to be like him? Mind you, they're already like him. They're already in his image and likeness. And this is a really important thing, right? Like if I just started saying, hey, guys, sit down. Sit, please. Eric, sit. Sit, Eric. You and the red shirt set. You'd be like, what is your problem? It's the same concept with they were already in his likeness. We're already loved. 
we're already his kids. We're like, I want to be a child of God. I want to be loved. I want, we already are. We just don't believe it. And the reason we don't believe is exactly what happened in the garden. Something else starts, starts chirping and we give it our attention. Ideas start coming. The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The world being all of this, we've all been homeschooled in the wrong home. And I don't mean here in the church. I mean the broader world. Even the church has been homeschooled in the wrong home. We see that when things like scandals erupt and all kinds of other stuff that's not good within the body of Christ. It's being shaped by the world at some level because it's in it. The flesh is our own concupiscence, our own inclination to the things of the natural order over and above the things of God. I'm inclined to think, you know, I should really go talk to the therapist instead of talk to God. Not that a therapist is bad. Therapists are good. But how much faith do we have in going to see a therapist because I'm depressed? And we wouldn't even fathom or we'd think we're quacks to come here and come to God about it. Does that make sense? That's not how Jesus was. That's not how the saints are. That's not how it was in the beginning. So the world, this flesh, this inclination here because of the fall. And then who is in charge of the world? The devil, the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to say about 4 for you because you asked me once for specifics there. <laughs> he talks about how the reason people can't hear the gospel, Paul talks about this, is because they're deceived. Because the ruler of this world has them, the God of this world has them deceived. Google it in your phone or grab the scripture and look that up. It's really important. Jesus tells the Pharisees, your father, the devil, right? In the garden, see, they're gods, right? Little G, Adam and Eve. They're in God's image and likeness. This voice starts coming to converse with them, to chirp. They start listening to it. They start dialoguing, right? They start a relationship. And this is what Christianity is about, right? Relationship. The one we're in relationship with is the one we're like. I remember one day at Paris, there's three junior high boys all standing there outside doing what they do. They all have the same haircut, the same shirt, the same shorts and the same shoes, right? Because we become like those we're in relationship with. My wife used to get really annoyed with me 14 years ago with things I used to say. Now she says them sometimes and vice versa because the two actually become one, right? The good and the bad. Whoever we're in relationship with is the one we become like. This is why Jesus had them hang out with him for three years. It wasn't just hearing teaching, it was being with him to learn what this is like. This is a concrete lived reality, not an idea alone. So Satan sits there and speaks to them and they start listening and then they act upon it and they ratify the communion they share with the evil one by eating the apple. John Paul II says that the body is the revelation of the human person. Have you ever noticed a difference? Whatever your sin is, you know, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's judgment, maybe it's anger, maybe it's pornography. I don't know, whatever it is. It's one thing when you think about it, it's another thing when you actually act upon it. Like my wife can say something that bothers me. And on a day where I don't just react, I sit there and think for a minute. Uh, sometimes I make the right decision and say, yeah, I'm just gonna boop. Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, hell with it, right? Say something back. The moment I say something, I act upon it, it completely changes it. 
right? Because I'm ratifying this communion with the voices that are trying to get me to be unholy. So all of the things in us that aren't good, what it is, is it comes from him, either now, in the past, from the world, the ideas, the beliefs we have, they come in at some point. We listen to them. We engage them. We believe them. We start acting upon them. And then we build relationship with him and start manifesting that. So when I was young, my mom left. When I was three, my parents split. When I was five, she moved to Omaha from Lincoln. And we lived with my dad. And probably the core wound I have is abandonment, neglect, right? Or the two big ones, rejection a bit. But what I haven't believed most of my life was that I'm good, that I'm worth anything. Right? Like so much so that a few months ago, see the, the whole Corona thing has been like a pressure cooker of, well, Matt can't travel anymore. Matt doesn't get to leave. He doesn't get to move. So he has to stay in one spot. Right. And I'm a fidgeter. I'm all over the place. Like it keeps me, it's good for me, but it also helps me keep distracted. But when I can't move and I can't leave and I can't do anything and I'm just faced with me, this is the kind of stuff that comes up. This way retreats good. Right. So I'm sitting there one day and I'm recognizing this fundamental agitation I have in my soul. Like I'm just not okay. Cause I've been sitting too much. I'm too quiet. I'm not busy enough. It's just like, eh. Start praying with it. Jesus, what's here? What's behind this? And this memory comes to mind. When I was in fifth, fifth or sixth grade, the popular girl at school approached me with her friend. And of course, she couldn't tell me this directly. It had to be her friend telling me how much she liked me. Right? And what hit me like a ton of bricks is I'm sitting there in my prayer back in that place. And I realized I literally had no idea why anybody would like me. Like I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, holy crap, like I, I really don't know. <laughs> like that's how far off I was at that age. I thought I was so worthless and so unimportant that it's like it was it was just discombobulating that somebody would find anything positive about me. Right. As I realized that all of a sudden, all these different things started flooding in how many ways I've acted upon that belief in my life. Right. I lie. I cheat people. I do drugs, all the things that come from that. I mean, I lived a very prodigal life and all that did was deepen that lie. And you know what? It created a whole lot of other life stuff that reinforced that reality that I'm no good. Like I started manifesting this absence of grace, this absence of goodness, which is what evil is. Does that make sense? So when I look at repentance, like in that moment of prayer, what I had to go back and look at is, man, like how do I respond when I feel like I just don't matter? When something in life pokes that, and I can give you a clear example of something really, really simple. My wife changed her diet recently, which I'm happy about. As a matter of fact, I was like, sign me up. Just whatever you make for dinner, I'm happy to make. She's like, it's going to be gross. I'm like, I don't care. I've got enough little chub here too that I'm willing to dump it. Just make it. I'll eat with you. You know, I've been trying to do it for years. And, uh, so she stayed home mom, I work, and she's learning how to do this. Well, one night she didn't make enough for me, so I'm out of dinner. I gotta figure something out. Immediately I feel the pang. And I know this pang, at least now, after many years, I can identify it usually before I respond in some way. And I feel this pang and I'm immediately uncomfortable. And she can tell and she's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like I just give me a minute to figure out what's happening here, you know? And, uh, and I'm sitting there thinking about it and praying for a minute. And I was like, here it is. I feel like she forgot me. I'm not important to her. Right. 
Now, what I know is she's learning how to feed us all differently because there's a change happening. That's what I know here. My heart's screaming the dead opposite. This bleep, 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 because that's how my sick soul works, right? Da, 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 da. But I know here the truth is that all it was is she's trying to figure out how to feed us all now because everything's shifted. The repentance for me is what do I normally do in that moment? Well, two, one of two things would happen. Either I would snark and say something, or I do what my friend likes to call the violence of silence. And I withdraw and I become my melancholic, dark, gloomy soul hiding in a corner somewhere all alone, wondering why I'm depressed, right? So I have a choice in that moment. What am I going to do here? To live out repentance is, and faith is to, in faith, say, I know this is not true. This is not true. She loves me. She cares for me. This is reality here. The evil one is right there because he knows I'm susceptible. He knows I'm susceptible to this. And all he's doing is being present to me, looking at me, casting shade and shadow right there. The question is, is do I receive that and respond and act upon it or not? Well, praise God I didn't. And what happened? I decided to say, nope, not that at all. I made some food. I sat down a little bit later at the table, ate with the kids, completely ignored it right? Engage, do all the normal stuff we do at dinner and everything else. And halfway through dinner, it was completely gone. It was completely fine. Versus had I received that and responded to it, we might still be a little fractured a few weeks later, right? So these are the things we look for in repentance. It's how am I really engaging this stuff? It's not the it's never the drinking, the porn, any of that stuff is never the problem. That's our solution to the problem. Our sins like that are the tools we use to get through life. There are self-willed way of managing through this mess we call life that can be really painful and difficult. It just is. It's just reality. We live in a broken, fallen world with sick people and we're sick and all this mixes together and it creates pain. So what these sins are is there are tools that we use to get through that. Take anger, resentment, frustration, right? Anger is a tool. It makes me feel like the Hulk. That's the image that always comes to mind, right? Here's David Banner, do, 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 do. right? Something happens. He feels small, kicked down, and blah. when he becomes the Hulk, what happens? He can overcome whatever obstacles before him. That's what anger's for. Anger in the healthy sense is like a mother bear to her cubs if you get between her and her cubs. That's a different kind of anger than Eric says something mean to me and I get upset about it and I get wrathful. They're two different things. It's that aspect or movement of the soul that's meant to overcome an obstacle before us. Well, what Jesus knew was what Paul said in Ephesians 6, our problem's not with flesh and blood, it's with the principalities and powers of darkness. My problem's not with my wife, my problem's not with you, my problem's not with father, anybody else. You are good, I am good. Jesus said from the cross, forgive them, Father, they do not know what they are doing. When somebody is acting in this way, it's because they're deceived. They're not thinking correctly. They don't see correctly. And there's a myriad of reasons, things they need to repent of, probably people they need to forgive and other related things that are shaping how they think and believe and feel. Does that make sense to everybody? <coughs> so this shapes the way we view the world. It shapes the way we interact with it. Repentance isn't just thinking about our wrongs. It's not looking back at our sins and trying harder. 
In the Protestant world, they call that legalism. In our country, in our world, like I'm actually working through this in a personal professional way right now, right? What our world tells us is if you do good, you will get the carrot at the end, you'll be rewarded, right? If you do really, really good, if you work really, really hard, you'll get the carrot at the end, right? Which there's truth to that in reality, right? If I go to work every day and I work hard, I will get a paycheck. I'll probably get pay increases and yada, 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 yada. But the gospel is totally counter to that. We see it in uh, parables, like when the, the landowner calls workers at different time of the day. The one who's worked eight hours gets paid, four hours gets paid, six hours gets paid, two hour, one hour, right? They all get paid the same. Because grace is about the call and the election. It's not about our efforts. It's not about trying harder or working better. And that's not a behavior thing. It's a heart orientation thing. See, we get accused by Protestants of because we pray a rosary or because we go to mass or because we go to that, da, 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 we think we have to earn our salvation. None of those things have anything to do with that. This issue permeates Christianity no matter where you're at. And the problem is this. Am I doing X, Y, and Z because I want to care it? Or do I know I'm loved? And so a, my love response is to do X, Y, and Z. My wife does not want me to be nice to her, to buy her dinner, and to be kind to get the carrot. <laughs> right? If she doesn't, why would God want me to? Relationship is about love and communion. It's about I love my wife, so I want to serve my wife and be kind and be patient and give and sacrifice myself and be affectionate and all these things. And there's a love response. And then there's another love response and intimacy develops. With God, it's no different. See, he loved us first. Back to the sitting thing. He already loves me. So why do I do X, Y, and Z to try to get him to love me? or to give me heaven or, or whatever it is, my carrot is with God. Success, healing, all those things. Repentance isn't looking back and trying harder. When we look back on our past outside of the blood of Christ, what we usually experience is failure and regret. Anybody recognize that? I just told my wife last night via text on the way to picking up pizza, because every Friday we have a standing date for Papa Murphy's pizza and a movie with the kids, Friday afternoons. I feel like a complete failure as a man, as a husband, and in my work. I just suck, Demetra. Now, I also know this isn't true here, but let me tell you, my heart has been feeling that way for about a week, like really hardcore. Part of the reason I told her that is because I needed to tell somebody. St. Ignatius of Loyola and discernment of spirits is really clear, tell a spiritual person, right? Well, I can't talk to my spiritual director right now. So my wife's the next best thing. So I told her, Immediately, of course, that's not true, right? But when I look back on certain things in the past, outside of the blood of Christ, all of a sudden I can look at all my failures, all my flops, all my stuff, and I can be filled with regret and failure, which does not lead me to repent. 
and it can eventually make me look ahead with more expected failure, which is exactly what was happening. Why did I feel hopeless and helpless? Because if I've been that bad back then, I'm just going to redo it here. True repentance is when the light of God reveals our heart to us within the context of love. There's no guilt associated with it. There's no shame associated with it. There's no self-accusation associated with it. It's, oh my gosh, this is who I've been. And I want to be different. Right? I want to be different. That's what repentance is. Oh my gosh, I see. I've been responding to this situation this way. Man, I don't want to do that anymore. Because God is right here and this is the very thing that's blocking me from experiencing his love. It's a change of mind and a change of heart. It's a change in the way we think and believe. This is why Jesus says it's the truth that sets you free. It's only the truth. Which means if you're blocked from moving ahead and in the renunciation, the key thing is lies. It's, the, it's what we believe. What we believe determines our life, period. If I believe you are evil, we see this in our culture today. If I believe you are evil, I will act accordingly. And I will act in a way to eradicate evil. I will. If I believe you are good and holy, I will act in a way that facilitates that, that expresses that. Belief is extremely important. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. This is the truth within positive thinking movement, right? Is that the thoughts we harbor, the things that are there, determine our behavior. So it's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and a change of action. It requires conversion. Repentance requires conversion. It requires being open to the possibility that everything that rolls around in here may not be of God and it may not be true. This is numero uno. There's three voices right here in our head, God's, Satan's, and mine. There are three. And this whole notion that we're these independent, autonomous creatures is just a lie from the pit of hell. We were created dependent. We were never created to be independent ever. Adam was created to be dependent upon God. Eve was created to be dependent upon Adam. This whole notion of this independence is just not real. We're made to be in communion. We're made for relationship. God is a relationship, three persons in one, ceaselessly loving one another. That's what humanity is supposed to be. A communion of persons of one essence, ceaselessly loving one another. One of the key things with depression is isolation. If you do not interact with people, if you do not talk to people, if you do not actually open your heart, you will never experience the joy of love, intimacy, and communion. What happens in therapy? Typically, somebody who's broken down, isolated, and hiding, either in one area of their life, two areas, 10, or their whole life, whatever the issue is, in this context, they start to open up. They start to be seen. They start to walk through whatever it is. In spiritual direction, what happens? Our life gets opened up to God we commune with him, we receive him, we walk through. What happens in confession? Same thing, all these different places 
are points to experience this grace and this relationship to move ahead. So I was diagnosed bipolar, depression, anxiety, right? For the longest time, I thought I was misdiagnosed. I don't know, maybe I was, or maybe God healed that stuff. But I exhibit none of those things today. I go through periods of desolation like this last week, but it's a desolation. It's not some long, short-term thing. And there was no magic pill. There was no magic button. There was no magic prayer session. There was no magic anything that took me from being a person who, like I was, I had so much anxiety. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning and go to work. I had a tattoo shop. That's why I have all the tattoos. We opened at 1 p.m. We were open till 10 p.m. every day, well, five days a week. I'd be laying in my bed at 12.55, too scared to get up and go open my, my business. Right? And it would take everything in my person to do it. Half the time I'd call somebody else and have them go do it. And then I'd come another half an hour, 45 minutes later, once I cheerleaded myself enough to get out and go. Or the depression was so heavy, I just couldn't move. Right? I don't experience anxiety anymore, period. I don't wake up with a sp the, the spring wound tight in my chest, which doesn't mean on occasion I don't experience some fear. Everybody does. But not this deep pervading thread in my life that threatens to undo me at the seams. Or the same thing with that depression or the mood swings and the up and down constantly. None of that is there anymore. And the reason is because I'm in relationship. It's relationship that heals. I was never made to be alone, ever. But I lived my life completely alone. Even if I was in a crowd of people, nobody knew what was happening with me. Nobody actually knew Matt. They knew the facade that I was putting up. Luckily, I went to a 12-step program where there is no facade, maybe even too much so, which was really good for me. Leaving that and coming just to the church, ooh, that was a tough one. We are the most facade-y, facade -y people there are. We all need to be holy. We all need to be good. We all need to be whatever. I'm not talking about standing up somewhere and giving your confession to the world. <laughs> but on the other hand, many times we're so we don't want to be judged or we're, we're really sinners. We're really bad. If somebody really knew who I was, that's got questions sound familiar to anybody. Now you start working in the church. That's, oh man, that just amps it up even more. Right. Cause you know, everybody now with the job I do, you know how many priests I know in the area. Do you think I want to go do face to face confessions with any of them? No, not really. For me, I know that's the best way for me to do confession. I need to connect with the man there, whether he's looking at me or not. I need that extra step of humility. That's just me because I'm so prone to hiding. Right? It's easy to hide in that box and say something. It's a whole different thing to a person sitting right in front of you to actually open up. Two of the best confessions I've ever had, one of them in particular was during Lent. I was fasting and doing a holy hour every morning before the 6.30 Mass. And I realized I had never repented of my occult activity in my past. When I was 18, I moved out of my dad's house and I moved in with this guy who was basically, it was basically a cult. Seances at night, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. It was the first time I ever encountered the demonic in a very tangible way and things like that. And this is how Satan works, right? Like he like he really likes to be hidden. So here I am three years into doing this work of all things. I'm doing a holy hour one morning, praying through something because there was somebody involved in the ministry who I had to deal with in a way I wasn't impressed with. And, uh, and I was trying to figure it out because it was really hooking in my heart. And I realized that this individual was a lot like that guy I lived with personality wise and stuff. Three years in to doing deliverance ministry. And I realized I have never taken a confession 
that I hated God, that I worshiped Satan, that I actually prayed that Satan would kill my dad. I've never actually confessed that. Like you would think that would come up at some point, right? You would think, nope. It took that day. And I went to confession and I remember, because the truth that came there with that, in my image, I created them. Male and female, I created them. Mom and dad are the image of God. We're the archetype of God for our children. The reason it's so important for us to be holy is to represent him well. If they don't experience this in reality, God in reality through us here, when they pass off at 18 to 22 or whatever into the hands of God and fly off into the sunset, it might not happen. Like there's a real, and I don't say that to condemn anybody. If you hear con condemnation in that, no, that's not of God. It's just the reality. The call to marriage is very, very, it's a lot. It's too much, actually, too much. It's a supernatural call. It's not a lesser second class thing. Oh, you didn't get called to the priesthood or the religious life. Sorry, guys. It's a very holy thing, right? So I realized in that moment, though, my hatred for God, I wanted my dad dead. No, I hated God. I hated God for giving me my family for not loving me, for, for giving me my life. I hated my life so much, so much. I was willing to move in this other direction, which I knew was wrong. I didn't care. So I finally got down to the heart of it, went to confession and I sat there and it was the assistant at my parish and we went into his office. It was after mass too close to mass went to mass went back to his office and i confessed all this and he sat there and he did he pulled the crucifix off his wall and just plunked it down in front of me and was like jesus loves you and he literally said jesus loves you every two to three seconds for 15 minutes as i just right The two things that occurred there was I actually opened my heart to the truth. It's the truth that will set you free. I confess the truth. I hated God. And this man knew the truth. And the truth is he loves me. That's what that means. That is I love you right there. And because I was open, I was able to receive that. Because this man didn't go, Ooh, you pray to Satan that your dad would die? Oh my God, Matt. Why are you doing the work you do? That's the garbage going through my head. Right? He was a representation of the Lord. Right? And this, the reason this is a love letter Everybody in this room pretty much probably knows if you ever bought or sold a house, we just bought a new one last summer and the listing price means about squat. It's what does somebody pay for it? <laughs> what is the number? That's the thing. That's the value of it. That's what you're taxed on everything else. That's the value is what you'll pay for it. The value of a car is what you'll pay for it. That's what you're taxed on once again. Well, the value of your life is his. The value of my life is his. See, when I used to look at that, what I saw was how miserable and messed up I was. How much of a horrible person I was, and he seriously had to do that for me, like that was a horrible trade. That's what I saw when I looked at the cross. But the truth is, is no, that's the price he's willing to pay for me. That's the price my father is willing to pay for me just to be in relationship with me again. Just to have me hear him say, hello. See, in God, the father's eyes, 
you're no less valuable than Jesus Christ himself. You are a son or a daughter in him. I have four kids. I don't love any of them any more than the others. I may get along with one or two of them a little better, connect with them a little bit relationship-wise and interests and things like that. But there is not one bit that I love one of them more or less than the other. They're all my kids. That's what God came to reveal to us. And see, here's the thing about the cross. It's already done. This is where the Protestants are right. It's finished. Everybody's forgiven, period. Everybody is forgiven. Everybody in the world is forgiven. Humanity and divinity are one in Christ again, and we can access that. Grace is here. We're like fish. I was just doing religion with my son yesterday. We're like fish in, a, in an aquarium. And the aquarium is the spirit of God. He's here. The problem is we're all running around with our mouths closed and our gills covered. And we're dying. The only question is, is are we going to receive that forgiveness that he has? Are we going to receive that love? Are we going to open up to it and access it? That's the only difference between the people you see in the pews and in your life who are alive with Christ, living with peace and joy in those things. They make every effort they can to be open to it. And that's the true repentance right there. Can I open up to this God, believe that he's real, believe that he's real, believe that I'm loved and act accordingly. And when I feel the rub, like I did that day, my wife forgot me at dinner. When I feel that rub, can I bring that to the Lord? Sometimes he'll just heal it right there. He'll just take it away. Sometimes I think I'm not in, at the baby steps anymore. So he's like, all right, Matt, I want a little more from you. I want you to act on this truth. <laughs> you never know what he's going to do. But can I do that? Can I have a conversion? And the conversion is right here. God is good. I am good. And I want to live by that from now on. I want to bring myself to the Lord and open up to this truth. We need to come to know the saving love of Jesus. We need to make a personal decision about that. Love and our Savior and live as a disciple. When I made the first surrender in my life, I was hooked on Oxy. I'd said that before. I went to a 12-step meeting. I had a gun. I was ready to kill myself, 29 years old. And it wasn't because I wanted to die as much as I just wanted the pain to end. Like, I was really miserable, miserable. And I felt horrible regret, and I didn't think there was any hope for me or anything else. I went to that meeting and I was, all I heard was people complaining and moaning and groaning about good things in their life. I'm like, y'all suck. You don't know nothing. Not true, but that's what I thought. That's what I heard. I left early because I didn't want to talk to anybody. Ready to go do the deal. I ran into this guy outside. He's like, hey, Matt, how's it going? And I lived with him at one point a few years prior, which really meant my stuff was there, but I stayed with the woman instead. Right. <clears throat> and uh, he was like, how's it going? Da, 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 da. And he could tell things weren't good. Pretty perceptive. He's like, oh, you want to talk about it? And I'm like, oh God, here we go. I'm tired of talking about things. Right. But I agreed. And we went to metal art coffee on 17th and South street. He cornered me on this reality that my life was unmanageable and it was a complete mess. And then he looked at me without knowing what my plans were or anything else. He said, Matt, if you don't get God right now, you're going to die. And he had no idea what I was planning, but he was right. We talked for a few hours that night and he kept saying, well, you got to surrender your life to God. Da, da, da. And he wasn't talking about I mean, it's Jesus, but that's not what he was talking about. Just a random nebulous idea of God. And I got really agitated 
because I've been hearing for years. First time I went to AA was when I was 15 years old. And I've been hearing surrender, surrender, surrender for about 14 years by this point. I'm like, what do you mean by surrender? I've been hearing this forever and I don't know what the hell you actually mean, right? I was just mad. He's like, well, you have somewhat of a moral compass still. He's like, you know, when what you want to do conflicts with what God wants you to do, just do what God wants you to do. That's it. And that I could make sense out of, right? And so he's like, well, hey, let's go say a prayer of surrender outside. So we went to the loading dock for open harvest, hit our knees and said a prayer. And when I said that prayer, I didn't really believe that anything was going to happen, but I was open to the possibility that it could and that maybe what this dude was saying was correct. Maybe there was a guy, I don't know, maybe. And that's all it took. Coming up to that conversation, all I could think about was using or dying. Like it was so heavy in my mind, like obsessive. Using or dying, that's it. Everything in me was fundamentally ordered in that direction at that time. I pray. I realized, well, I'm kind of motivated to do the next step in the process. So I hopped in my car and drove across the street to Walgreens to get a pad of paper and a pen. And as I was driving over there, I realized I had no desire to use. I had no desire to die. And God was thick as pudding in my car. He was just there. And that changed everything for me when I realized he was real. That none of this is, is an idea that we adhere to. It's not an ideology. It's not any of those kind of things. The truths that we believe are finger pointers to the living God. And it's about relationship. I will not engage my wife or a friend or another person on a deep heart level unless I first believe they're safe and they love me and they care. Now, my wife showed me that for a while. My friends have showed me that by interacting with them. The God who is invisible who we can't see, who at times when I go to talk to him in a room, it feels like I'm just talking in a room. He has done the same thing every other person has done. He has shown me ahead of time that it's true and it's that. While we were yet sinners, while I was a complete and utter mess, he came and died for me. He chose me when I was just a complete mess. Think about this for a minute. He chose a bride who killed him. His spouse hated him. Boo. If you got troubles in your marriage, Jesus knows. His bride does not like him, kills him, hates him. He spends three years hand out. I love you. Psh right? Constant. But what love does is love sees the truth. It sees the truth of who we are. It sees the truth of who we're created to be. Love is patient. Love is kind and love rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Those are all descriptives of patience. Kindness is a manner in which we interact. Jesus is patient and kind. We need to be careful with our interpretation of the scriptures. In the RSVCE version, when he flips over the tables, there's a little meme that floats around on Facebook that says, remember, whipping people with cords is within the realm of reason. No. It said he had zeal for his father's house. It didn't say he was throwing a temper tantrum and he was mad. It's the mother bear for her kids that erupted there. It's the irascible function of the soul 
that they frequently call anger, not this big emotional outburst that people try to use to justify their own outbursts. How long do I have to be with you all? He says that in there. That's a cry of agony to the father because he's alone. Nobody else gets it. Could you imagine being the only one who got it? Like he had to rebuke his mom when he was 12 years old. Don't you know I have to be in my father's house? Her and Joseph didn't even get it completely. And they got it more than anybody else did. Can you imagine how lonely that would be to be Jesus? The only one who even gets it in the world. It sounds like if we look at that through our own lens, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, how long do I have to be with you? You suck, you know? No, it's a cry of loneliness and pain. How long do I have to be with them? I'm alone. I want to be with you. I want to be with my bride who loves me. My brothers and sisters who understand me. Can't you just wait for me one hour? Can't you just be with me? Right. Love sees the truth. Love rejoices in the right. God always looks at us with eyes of love. It's not that God doesn't see the negative in our life. He does. It's there. But it's like when you see her or him, like if you're on, if I'm honest, there's many beautiful women out there. Not going to lie. I go to the University of Mary campus every year in Bismarck, North Dakota, and they have an unusually amount of attractive people there. Probably because it's mostly sports, right? Like I'm serious. It's weird. There's many attractive people out there. There's beautiful people out there. There's beautiful women. There's amazing women out there. I encounter them frequently. I talk to them. I'm around them, right? It's not that they're not there. They don't exist. But see, when I met my wife, she kind of came to the fore and all the rest of y'all fell to the background. So this is where my eyes are. This is what I, I see. This is the prominent thing because I love her. And because I love her, this is where my eyes rest. When I, if I didn't love her, and then what happens? People jump out the door. That's how God sees us. He sees the goodness of our heart. He sees who he created us to be. And he rejoices in that. And the sin just kind of falls to the background. It's not that it doesn't exist. And we see this in the prodigal son. And this is the thing I'll leave you with, with repentance, right? The prodigal son is the best image of God, of the relationship with God, of conversion, of repentance. In Romans one, he says, and God gave them over to, and God gave them over to three times to the lust of their flesh, yada, yada, yada. We need to understand something about God's punishment. God's punishment is not to zap lightning bolts at us. He gives us over to our choices. He gives us over to our choices. Oh, Matt, you want to go smoke pot all the time? Okay, here, go for it. You can feel what it's like not to be able to remember anything you read. You know? When I was 15, first time I went to treatment, I had to read paragraphs multiple times before I could remember what it meant, what it was saying. Oh, Matt, you want to be mean to your wife? Okay, go ahead. How about it? Oh, and you wonder why she doesn't like you, why she doesn't trust you. Hmm, why is she not this harbor of safety and place of rest for you, Matt? Probably because you were spitting barbs at her. Oh, you want to be lazy at work? Okay. Well, there goes the job. How about it? We don't understand how much of God's mercy is him restraining the consequences of our behavior. Have you ever stepped on somebody's toes, maybe been late to something? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. That's God's mercy. When I went to India for a month, I was really conflicted when I got back 
because I was like, I'm no different than those people who are actually poor. Why? Because of God's mercy. He chose to have me here. Right here in America. Bloop. When he punishes us, he gives us over. We see this in the prodigal son. The prodigal comes to him and he's like, I want half my inheritance, which he shouldn't get any of it. It should go to the older brother. No wonder the older brother's mad. But the problem is the older brother don't see it with eyes of love either. He's selfish too, right? He wants his inheritance. And what does the father do? Here you go. Imagine that. Here you go. Go for it. I'll give you half. Bink. Gives it to him. He leaves with his caravan and his threads and whatever else he left with wealth and everything. See, this is the father's wisdom. He says, okay, go for it. Where does the son end up? He ends up eating, living, and working in pig poo. Think about that for a minute. He's eating pods covered in it. He goes from being wealthy in a house where there's obviously a fatted calf and all kinds of stuff going on. There's great wealth to living in that. When he comes back, see, the wisdom of the father is he lets him go there. Because what he wants is his son to turn around. He wants his son to recognize his need for his father. The need for that relationship. Because outside that relationship, this is where he lives. This is it for him outside that relationship. It's alone in the muck. That's why he gives us over. It's not because he's mad at us. It's for our good. Okay, you want to know what life's like without me? Well, here you go. Go experience it. Hopefully, you won't be so hearted of heart that you'll turn back. But it needs to be a free response because that's what love is. He wants to be loved. He doesn't want somebody to go grab him and take him out of it and make him come home. That's not love. That's control. It appears loving, but it's not. So he gives him over to it, says, there you go. The son gets involved in this and realizes, oh my gosh, this is awful. I would rather be a servant there than do this. So even his thinking isn't even clear completely. But he's like, all right, starts the track back. He's completely disfigured, like he's unrecognizable. He's covered in stuff, stinks, he's dirty. He's not the boy who left, the young man who left at all. But the father's there waiting for him. The father does not see the poo, the smell, the stank. He doesn't even think about the past of what he did. Cause what that in effect meant is I wish you were dead. I don't like, just give me my share. That's what it meant when he asked him for half the inheritance, clear communication. I don't like, I don't love it. I don't want anything to do with you. Die man. He doesn't remember any of that. He doesn't, none of that matters. What he sees is this movement back, this ache in his son's soul and his heart ratified in his behavior to move back. And so he's right there, boom. All he needs is the words. And he starts with his little pathetic thing. Mid-sentence, the father just cuts him off, restores him, clothes him with a ring, shoes, robe, sandals, everything. Makes him a son, restores him, boom. Then he gets invited into the fatted calf. That's the thing for each one of us with repentance. Can I believe that? That the father actually just sees me for who I am, regardless of what I've ever done. Maybe I withhold my heart. Maybe I hide. Maybe I drink. Maybe I look at porn. Maybe I'm mad and mean to my wife or my kids or my coworkers. And I'm just snarky and bitter. I don't know what it is. That's not what defines who you are. It's who he created you to be, which is good. So I take some time to reflect on that. 
Is there anything you'll have some time today to reflect on what rubs up against this idea that regardless of what you've done, you are good. You're just not living up to who you were called to be. You're not living up to who you were created to be. But God focuses on how good you are and how amazing you can be. The other person that touched me deeply and then I'll be done was another priest. I went through a period of time when I started working in the church and I was really lonely because I didn't have this environment of openness that I had once before. And I look weird. I don't fit, right? In a lot of respects, which is good because we're really quite a diverse crowd, right? We should be anyway. And I got really isolated and really alone. And I slipped into some old behaviors. I got high, I got drunk. When I was doing the work that I'm doing, not while I was doing it, but in the same time, I finally got to a point where I had to be open about it. I had to tell somebody I couldn't harbor it any longer. And there was a priest friend of mine who I went to and I was so scared because this particular priest at the time held a very high um, administrative function in the diocese had a lot of impact, a lot of influence, things like that. But he was the one in my life. And I remember sitting there telling him, and you know what he said to me? Sounds like you're a Catholic man. I knew what I was doing was wrong. He laid out exactly what I described to you in the prodigal son. He lived that out right there. Every person in that prayer room knows you've done things you shouldn't have done, knows you feel horrible about things that have happened in your life, maybe things that have been done to you, maybe things that make it difficult to look in the mirror, to be kind to other people, whatever it is. It's an opportunity to have that experience to be open, to be seen, and to be loved. The question is, is do you want to step into that or not?